podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. And today we're going to be preaching on uh, the secret place. We're continuing the, the presence series this month. It's been something that I've recognized was really needed for us to communicate. It's a core value for this community. We have love Jesus, love people. And this is the foundation. These are the pillars. These are the, the strong precepts that we stand by. They define really the full essence of what we aspire for in Jesus as a community and a family. A great love for Jesus and a great love for one another in that same vein. So we're talking about a Jesus love. We're talking about a lifestyle of Jesus. And, uh, but one of the things that I, I think has maybe been understated but really appreciated and valued is uh, hosting God's presence together. And this is something that I've wanted to teach about because there's a lot of different ideas and histories that people have as they come together to experience God's presence. Uh, but as this church family worships the Lord together, I find it to be very important uh, to discuss in detail and in our core values how we really experience God and his presence, how we experience this church family together and how we uh, cooperate with one another you know, Steve mentioned the different things going on with Chris's life and some of those testimonies and breakthrough. I'm so grateful to God. And uh, I had the opportunity this week also to visit Stephanie and Rob in the hospital. And Rob's a dear friend of this house and Stephanie and her family are dear friends of this house. And Rob passed away uh, this week from cancer. And um, I, I, I had this really unique experience, you know, to be quite honest, death isn't the most comfortable thing for me to experience as a person. But um, I got to visit Rob in the hospital, and I, I find it to be something that was deeply impactful and meaningful, and I'm really grateful for his life, really grateful for the experience there in the hospital. Uh, I got there, and I, I honestly didn't know a whole lot of what to say, you know, and he woke up, and he started talking to me and telling me deep things about his life. As you can imagine, he's spending a lot of time with God, and he loved God, and he's in heaven with Jesus now and he had visions of it and it was really, really amazing. And maybe we can stare, share the story in detail at some point. But when I visited him, it was, it was really interesting. He told me some of the life lessons that he had learned and I wanted to share one of them with you because I, I found it to be really impactful. And he shared with me about how he had lived his life and how he had really, really made a lot of effort to have everything on the outside real clean, real neat and real organized and put together. But on the inside, there were some messes. And what he told me that he learned in life to that point was that it was better to get those things out, to get those messes out, to confess them, to talk about them, to process them. Because even if it created a little bit of a mess around you, it was better to have a mess around you and be clean on the inside than to have it clean on the outside and a mess on the inside. This is something he shared with me, and it was deep, and it was amazing. And then, and then we laughed together. We talked about soup. <laughs> we talked about simple things, fun things, things that really didn't matter in eternity, but things that were on his heart and on his mind because he was eating a lot of soup at some point. And I was like, well, my wife loves soup and she eats soup at weird places, you know, like Chick-fil-A, who eats soup there? And so we started to laugh, but at first I wasn't really comfortable laughing because, well, I, I just don't know what to do in those situations sometimes. But he helped me because... He was sharing with me these deep things, and all I knew what to say was, yeah. So I just kept saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And at one point, he made fun of me. He's like, I could tell Samuel doesn't know what to say because he just keeps saying yes seven times now. <laughs> and it totally cracked open for me, this breakthrough, and just being present with somebody in this place and not needing to have all the answers, but being able to just experience somebody, to experience God in that moment, to experience God through them, and you always think something's going to end in some kind of miraculous victory, right? Like that's what our minds want to think a certain way about it. But also God is present in the healing. He's present in the death. He's present in the grief. And when you begin to experience God's presence, you begin to realize that it is not, it doesn't need some kind of polished life. That God's capable of being present in the really good times, in the really tough times, and that's something I'm really, really grateful to Rob and to Stephanie and the family, uh, the way they lived their life up to that point. And they were even sharing with me how they were worshiping God as he went into heaven and um, cheering them on in that place. And I was deeply inspired, deeply touched by it. And I, I'm really, really grateful for the testimony of your guys' life. 
Really love you. Really love Rob. I wish I could have spent some more time with him. Really grateful for you, your family. They're family for us, and we grieve together. We celebrate together, and I just love you guys. So, um, so yeah. I We haven't really told you guys, but uh, and he's not here right now, actually, because he had to go because he's at first service as well. But Steve is actually, uh, he's dealing with cancer as well. And so this is a church family, you know, and so sometimes you kind of go along week after week doing kind of the, some of the same things. And there's like a program and a routine a bit. Um, but as a family, you stop is what I'm learning for sure. You, you stop and you pause when there's moments of need like that. And if, it's okay if it disrupts some things. So, so can we pray for Steve? And can we pray for those that are dealing with physical ailments in this community or maybe family members outside of it? Um, I was talking to Kirsten at the back. We were talking about, Rob, we were talking about that. We were talking about physical healing and uh, she's like, I'm just frustrated because I want to see more healing. I was like, I hear you. And I, I don't have answers for you. Uh, I trust God and I know we trust God. So I want to ask God to heal our bodies. You guys, you guys for that? So if you have somebody in your life or on your heart, then you can think on them and pray on them. But if not, let us pray for Steve as well as a part of our family. And Stephanie and Rob and the family for God's grace and his presence to be there. There's so many needs, but I just trust God to fill these needs. So Father, we trust you in this moment. There's an overwhelming amount of need in this community, in this city, in this nation, in this world. I recognize that. I'm not able to meet it. And the population in this place, we are individually not capable of meeting all those needs. But we really trust you, God. So we pray that you would show up in an amazing way in Steve's body, God, that you would miraculously heal him right now. In Jesus' name. That you would heal those in this community with physical need. And God, that you would teach me and that you would teach us to be present in these places of sickness. Full of hope, full of faith, full of courage, and full of wisdom. God, we're here for you. We love you so much. We trust you with this family. We pray that you would do miracles in bodies today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for praying for me, guys. Excuse me, praying with me. Um, Thanks for praying for this family. Um, Thanks for all those who labored in prayer for Rob. He's present with the Lord now, and we're really grateful for his life. And, um, And I want to talk about the secret place today and God's presence and how you cultivate a foundation with the Lord in his presence. So much of the presence of God can be misunderstood by sensationalism and these ideas about how it can go or should go. But the deep and meaningful places with the Lord in presence are ones of intimacy and transformation. They're ones of deep soul impact where we start saying things like David said, it is well with my soul. You start to recognize these places that when you've allowed yourself to build a secret place with the Lord, you begin to realize the way you can access it at any point, at any season of life, and you live from there. So Matthew 6, 6 paints this picture or begins to communicate this, this part of the secret place. And Psalm 91 is actually where we're going to be really living today. But we'll start in Matthew 6, 6, because this is what Jesus says of this secret place. It says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. It goes on to talk about and or to teach us how to pray, which would be the Lord's Prayer. So I've taught on that before. I'm not going to teach on the Lord's Prayer today. But what Jesus is communicating here is to do this and to approach your heavenly father like this. And, and it was in contrast to approaching your heavenly father in a performative public way, praying to be seen. And he also confronted the repetitious prayer that believes it will be heard due to its repetition. So he confronts these things, right? And he says, look, do it like this. Access and approach father in secret. And I have this history with the Lord where I want to understand why he said something. So my question is, okay, God, why, why in secret? Why do you want me to go there and to experience you there? Because I know this about God, that he will never leave me nor forsake me. So what we taught on in previous weeks is that God is always present, 
even if you're not aware of his presence. So we know this to be biblical. We know this to be true. So when we are experiencing God's presence, it's not a shift in him. It's a shift in us. So we know this about God, that he's always present. So then, then the question is, okay, Jesus, what is it that you are achieving in the secret that you can't achieve uh, or that you will not achieve or won't be achieved in public? So you begin to ask these questions and really go, why? Like, why do, why, are you, why do you call me to this? Why do you ask this of me? What is happening in the secret that can't happen in public? And there's certain things I, I liken, uh, oftentimes, I, I liken my covenant relationship with the Lord to my covenant relationship with Jess, my wife, 14 years now. And I say, okay, what happens in secret that can't happen in public? We go on dates in public, we talk about things in public, but there's certain things in the privacy of our home, in the privacy of our connection points, whether it be certain types of conversation or physical intimacy or things like that, that there's certain places of relationship. And I would even go as far as to say the foundation of our covenantal relationship is accomplished and achieved in privacy and in secrecy, not in public. And so the same could be recognized about our relationship with Heavenly Father is that you go to the secret place because it's a better place to build a relationship foundation. So you live from the secret place. You live from it. You go into public and you bring that secret place uh, history with you uh, so that when you're not in secret, when you're not in private, you're able to carry this intimacy you've achieved in privacy and in secrecy. And you're able to then express it to a public world that is accusatory, that is judgmental. I remember when I was a kid, I used to worship the Lord uh, in Kids Power Church, right? And when I would, that was what our kids' church was called, Kids Power Church. And there was slides and overhead projectors and fun things like that, you know? And then I would go to the Spanish church a lot of times in the second service, you know, because I liked the way everyone smelt. Because they smelt really good. And uh, I didn't understand anything happening in the Spanish church, but they were so kind and so nice, and their music was so fun. So I went to the Spanish church sometimes. But in Kids Power Church, what I realized was that I had this insecurity over lifting my hands. I had this insecurity over like moving during worship. I was like, what are other people thinking about me, you know? Now I don't have that at all. Uh, but you, you, in that time, you're like, you're very aware. You're like, someone's judging the way I dance. Someone's looking at me and thinking I look funny. And something, someone's thinking about me and criticizing me. Turns out that's absolutely true. You know, like, <laughs> but then it turns out you just don't care at some point. You know, you let go of the care of it. Yeah, people are judging you. People are looking at the back of your head. They're like, hey, he's losing hair or he's dancing funny or something like that, you know? But then you just become free of that insecurity and that fear. So there's things, though, that are a real struggle in relationship with God uh, when you don't have that intimacy, the public expressions are very insecure. And so you have all this crowded space in your head, right? You've got these insecurities. You've got these thoughts. It's cloudy up there. It's got a lot going on when you're in public. So you build this connection in intimacy and in privacy and in secrecy that you carry that confidence into the public. Like I know how Jess feels and thinks in public because of the time we spent in private. So I'm really confident in our relationship in public scenarios because I know our exchanges in intimacy and in privacy and in secrecy. I know the places of her heart. I know the places of her mind. I know, I know how she feels and thinks about things and her, me as well. So we've had this secret place exchange that has allowed us to behave in a public way with great confidence about who each other are. And the same relationship covenant-wise happens with the Lord, right? Is that you have this intimacy, secret expression and secret connection point, and it's built a confidence in you about who God is. And so then we enter into Psalm 91 to understand what this looks like a little bit more, right? The Father's in secret. So sonship, daughtership is accessed through this secret history. Uh, and that's important to know because if you are feeling like an orphan, you're feeling like a reject, you're feeling full of fear, it's probably going to be really, really important for you. Follow this. It's going to be important for you to overcome orphan mindsets. You need to build a secret history with your father. 
Okay, so Psalm 91 says this well. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91, that's the New King James Version. We're going to read a little bit more. The English Standard Version would say, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Okay. Two things just happened right here, right? Is that all of a sudden we see, whoa, okay, there's something about the secret place. There's something about this place of coverage, this place of intimacy, this place that's found under the shadow of the Almighty and this refuge state, this refuge place. And it's not for a waste. It's not a two-hour expression that has nothing to do with the rest of our life but that this experience in secret with Heavenly Father begins to change the way you relate to threat. It begins to change the way you relate, relate to danger, right? Even at some point, Paul's like, hey, death, where is your sting, right? Your time with God begins to actually change the way you feel about threats. So when I was a kid, it was detrimental, the idea that somebody around me was judging me and was criticizing me. That was a terrifying concept, right? Now I'm like, who cares, right? Because of my history with the Lord, I've been able to overcome the fear of rejection and the fear of failure. So your intimate experiences with Heavenly Father say it doesn't matter what other people's opinions are of you. You've learned to put more value on the opinion of your Heavenly Father than you do on others around you. So they could still hate on you. They could still throw fiery darts at you. They can still attack you. They can still do all of the things that Psalms 91 talks about, which it lists out a lot of threats. A lot. Pestilence, arrows, nighttime stuff, war stuff, death stuff. It lists all these things. These are all real witnesses that Israel had, by the way. So these weren't just made up threats. These were real. So if you're going to rewrite your own Psalm 91, it's this. Have you learned to live, to make your dwelling in Christ? Have you learned to trust him in that way? If you have, what's your resume? If you had to rewrite Psalm 91, what's your Psalm 91 look like? Does it look like pestilence? Does it look like arrows? Well, honestly, maybe not, because that's a little bit like not quite a modern life, but what's yours? What have you found refuge from? What have you found salvation from? In relationship with God, what has the secret place done to change the way you relate to the threats of your life? the threats on your family, the threats on your finances, the threats on your well-being, the, threat, the threats on your peace, the threats on your physical body. See, what this is talking about is this is talking about a presence dynamic that goes beyond just simply positive circumstances. And what it's saying is, look, you can create this place of connection with God that can survive and thrive through any doomsday scenario of your life. But the great bridge, the one that I believe is actually incredibly difficult for us to cross is the bridge of trust. What's he say here? You, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. So the question to measure within yourself, the question to ask yourself and the thing to measure within yourself is what do I put my confidence in? What do I trust in? What do I find comfort in? I could tell you in my history, the different types of things I've found comfort in, I've found strength in, I've put my trust in. And I can tell you the things that I've put trust in that I found out were just self-reliance, were just pride, were just flesh capacities. And they weren't truly reliant on the spirit of God. They weren't truly spirit-led. They were mental faculty-led. They were, they were strength of fiber of character-led. They were toughness-led. They were athlete-led. They were anger-led. They were, I had a lot of different things I could point to that I took refuge in, that I took strength in, that became my shield and my protection. Because the bottom line is this, is that you and I already have secret places. It may or may not be a secret place in God, but you and I already have secret places. 
It may be a secret place that's found its comfort and its refuge in finances. It may be a secret place that has found its comfort and its refuge in the acceptance of your kids or your spouse. It may be the secret place that has found its refuge and its comfort in politics or in friends and the acceptance of friends. See, I don't know what your comfort zone is. I don't know what you've called home. But I do know that Psalms 91 points to this very simple idea that there are threats, real threats, always. You'll experience them the rest of your life. You'll experience them, I'll experience them. So there are threats, that's a guarantee. But what Psalms 91 is painting a picture of is an intimacy with God that has made him our secret place of refuge. It's the only difference. We're all going to experience threat, but will we choose the secret place of God? Will we choose the comfort of the Lord, not the comfort of food or lust, substances? Uh, Oftentimes we go, well, what's so bad about food? What's so bad about money, right? And we just kind of question, well, what's so bad about it? it? Technically speaking, there's nothing wrong with money or food, but the love of money getting comfort spiritually and emotionally from food, this is where the break in trust comes. This is where the breach of relationship foundationally comes between us and the Lord, is that when we have taken things and made them our comfort rather than the presence of the Lord. Now, I want to say I get it. I really get it. Because food is a lot easier to get than this invisible God, vulnerable, present, presence experience, intimacy with the Lord. This is hard. This is challenging. It requires a life for a life, right? Like if you want to abide in Jesus, if you want the life of Jesus, you got to give up your life. So it's oftentimes much easier to grab at a comfort or a coping mechanism uh, that is right there. It's immediately available to us. It's, It's so easy to get. Transactionally, it's right there. And so it's so easy to grab onto that thing and go, well, yeah, this is it right here. This is it. The food, it comforts me. The lust, it comforts me. The, the anger, it provides safety to me. Like I can list my things that I have grabbed onto for comfort and I have declined to grab a hold of the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Acts talks about it, it says, in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. And all throughout scripture, you can measure that growth comes from choosing the comfort of God's presence rather than alternatively choosing the comfort of vices, substances, acceptance, honor of man. Like the scripture, the Bible, New Testament especially, is like it's an incredible doctorate, thesis, dissertation on on choosing God rather than choosing the things of man. And you can separate it out, right? You were to be spirit-led. Those who are spirit-led are sons of God. Like it literally says, if you are spirit-led, you are a child of God. Like this is incredible. It's amazing. But then it also points to, and if you look in Galatians 5, it points to the issues of what comes when you choose flesh-based comforts, right? And it says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, This is so good. Sometimes people try and defeat the lust of the flesh so they can walk in the spirit. Galatians 5 is like, no, 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 no. Walk in the spirit, that's how you overcome the lust of the flesh. Isn't that fun? No? All right. (laughs) It's like one of my favorite things to do in preaching. Ain't that fun? No. (laughs) 17 says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. So this, this is what comes from finding your comfort in fleshly things. This is what comes when your secret place is rooted in flesh capacities and self-reliant capacities. This is the fruit of that choice. Secret place is flesh. Here's the fruitfulness of it. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, 
selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, list isn't done, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which means there's more to that list than was just qualified to us. How many of you feel targeted right now? Hey, I do too. That's the point, is the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins, not to condemn us unto guilty sentences to forever be separate from God, but he convicts us of our sins so that we may repent and we may experience the fullness and the intimacy of Heavenly Father, which is found in redemption, which is found in healing, which is found in salvation. The Holy Spirit doesn't point at you and go, look at that. Look at that blackness of heart. Look at that root of bitterness so that he can mock you, make fun of you, and condemn you to hell. The Holy Spirit does it because it desires deep, intimate freedom for you and for me. So he points it out like, look, this has held you down long enough. Yes? Yes, you agree? I agree too. I'm ready to make you free. Okay, so we experience this secret place interaction with the Holy Spirit. And the reason why we have a secret place is because when the Holy Spirit's telling you things about how sinful you are, it's best done in private the first time. Because when you get dismantled by the Holy Spirit, you're like, I don't do anything right. I'm not good at all. And Holy Spirit, if you do it in a public scenario, all you get is the uh, sense that you are nothing. But if you, if you allow yourself to spend that secret, vulnerable place, you can't hide from anybody else, the next revelation that comes to you is that even though I'm dirty and my sins are like scarlet, God loves me anyways. And if you miss that next line, you miss the entire point of your relationship with God. You probably didn't need God to tell you you're a sinner and you suck at things. You probably already know, but you do need God to experience profound, perfect love. For that, you absolutely desperately need God and cannot experience it without him. Don't point to your spouse and tell me that's God love. Don't point to your pastor and tell me that's God love. Don't point to any other human being and tell me that is the pinnacle of God's love. Look, they're doing their best, but they ain't God. I'm doing my best to love my wife as Christ loves the church, but I can tell you right now, I'm nowhere close to the love of God for my wife. He loves her better than I love her. So you can't find God's love in somebody else in their words, in their actions, in their emotions, in their hug or anything like that. You can't find it there. You need to find it in the secret place with your heavenly father. If you want adoption, you gotta spend time with your heavenly father. Like that's what sons do, right? Like that's what spiritual sons and daughters do is they spend time with their heavenly father. And I've had to actually, with the Lord, like I've had to actually really repent and change the way I do my devotions with the Lord because I did it in one way for many, 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 many seasons and years and it really, really was good. Because I would read until I encountered something in God and then I'd carry it with me in my spirit and I'd meditate on it day and night. I wouldn't read my Bible every day. I would meditate on whatever I experienced with the Lord and I would meditate on his word and day and night I'd carry that thing. Recently I found out I'm too busy, my mind forgets what it did five minutes ago, let alone carry with me in disciplined mindsets whatever the Lord told me six and a half weeks ago. So I've had to alter the way I spend time with the Lord in this secret place, and I've actually had to get a physical Bible, put it in front of me, sit myself down with no technology, and just look at the Bible and read it and spend time with God's word. So this was alternative to the way I, I sincerely experienced secret place times. I would spend time with the Lord in private, but I didn't always need to crack open my word. But now it's like this, I really need to spend time in these pragmatic ways, like really getting in front of the thing. I, I, my mind is too busy. It's doing too many things. I, 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 I have to anchor myself on the word. So I've had to adjust the way I'm approaching these things because look, the, the, the foundation of my life in holiness and redemptive character and nature is entirely reliant on a secret place experience with Heavenly Father. 
And this isn't so that you and I can go into that secret place, feel goosebumps and tell everybody about how awesome it felt. No, I'm glad it felt awesome. That's great. But that's not the point. You experience and or you uh, spend time in this secret place, not so you can feel good, so that you can become good. This is the unique difference, right? Is that the, like the Holy Spirit is not just a, uh, like a high, like a drug gives you a high. Although some people experience euphoric sensations in, in terms of their experiences with the Holy Spirit, that's great. But it's not about you just getting a dopamine release in your head and going like, oh, that was very pleasurable. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for that Holy Spirit high. No, that's hogwash. That's hogwash by itself. What you must experience is you're experiencing these euphoric senses of the Spirit of God, not so that you can remain who you are apart from him, but you're experiencing the spirit of God in these pleasurable ways so that you can become like him in deed, in character, and in form. But this is tough. And this is where the secret place has to have a more enduring vision of it than something that is just wishy-washy like our emotions every single day. What Psalms 91 is describing and painting a picture of is a vision of God's presence that is enduring and is not able to be snuffed out by the fiery darts of the enemy or by this, the, the, the persecutions of the enemy, by the fire extinguisher that is the enemy or the chaos that is life. When you begin to build this secret place with the Lord, this place of privacy, all of a sudden it changes your dwelling place. It changes where you find comfort. It changes where you find your place of ease and your place of security. This trust is so important to cultivate with the Lord. Because you and I might not realize it, but we actually live wherever we trust. Whatever we trust in, that's where we choose to live. Because we find our confidence in it. We find our peace in it. We find our safety in it. Recently, we were talking, so verse nine, it says this, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the most high, who is my refuge, dwelling place, dwelling place. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and on the adder and the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. He knows my name. This is, a, this is a picture of intimacy, right? This is a picture of intimacy, guys, that when you know his name and he knows your name, this is an, inter, this is an intimate exchange relationally. My kids, uh, they talk about moving sometimes, right? Because we have six of us in a house and I love my house. I don't need to move. But honestly, we love to have people over, parties. Both me and my wife are extroverts, and so are all of my kids. So we just love to have everyone. Like, you're all invited to all of my parties all of the time. If you're ever like, Samuel didn't invite me to my party, just know right now I'm inviting everybody to all of my parties. And my kids. You want to come to my kids' party? Sure, come. But you have to bring a gift for them. <laughs> and me. So, uh, so... So we talk about moving sometimes, they like talk about it. And, but sometimes, and Presley was talking about it, she's like, but I love my room. I, oh man, I love the memories in this home, the different things we've done, you know, even the things that are like inconvenient, you know, like there's this, well, there's a couple places of damage that my son has created through his great behavior and creativity. That's what it is, it's creativity. He fell down when he was like two and his head went into the corner bead and it dented it. And he got up and just walked away like nothing happened. The dent's still there. He was jumping on the bed and he did a flip and then his foot went through the wall. That just happened recently, that's still there. So I wake up every morning and I see a hole right by my head. And I'll probably be there until we sell it. So. So my kids think about their home. And so all of a sudden, if you study psychology, you know that we begin to build an association between things, right? Like this ring right here, it's just silicone, it's rubber. It means nothing except for 
the meaningfulness of my marriage with Jess. So when I think about it, when I look at it, when I, I feel the emotions of marriage, not because it's magical, but because it's built an association between me and my marriage, and it's represented right here. And our homes, you look at it very similarly, our homes, they build this association of, of safety, of belonging, of comfort. So when we begin to talk about making our home in Christ, begins to say, understand it as your safe place, as the place that no one else gets permission to go under the authority of God. He says it's the, he's the most high because you are the most high and you are my God, King of kings and Lord of lords. So what it's doing is it's understanding that it's a place, secret place with the heavenly father that actually no one else has the authority to be able to go into there. No one else has the authority to be able to access it under the protection of God. And there is none more powerful than God. So this is a place that pestilence isn't allowed to go. This isn't a place that sickness can go. This isn't a place that lions have any authority or power. So what it begins to do is not to say that you won't experience trials or loss in your life, but what it begins to say is that the very essence of who you are can live in a place that is perfectly safe in God. So when these life things happen, the vitality and the vital places of who you are are secure in God. So you can lose all things and lose nothing. You can meet the worst trials and sufferings of your life and still find great joy in that secret place with the Lord. This dwelling place, this place of of intimacy, this place of safety, this place of covering and comfort. It is not reliant on circumstance. It is reliant on the character of God, which is constant and enduring to eternity. When you and I begin to get this anchor of secret place, this unchangeable characteristic of God that you can experience at any time and that you live in, when we begin to have this constant in our life, it changes the way we relate to the many variables of our life because you have this through line through all of it. And imagine this, this is us talking about the presence of God. Not, not, it's not a, this is why I always say like, look, the Holy Spirit is not just a cool thing that happens in worship or in a sermon where you feel goosebumps. What a serious undermining of the full value of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's not just a good feeling. He is refuge. He is safety. He is secret too. Cannot be found by anybody else. He is the sheriff that's protecting that town of secret place and nobody gets to come in because he's the greatest sheriff ever. Nobody gets to come in and destroy that place. Nobody gets to touch it. Nobody gets to have it. Nobody gets to violate it. It's under the protection of the Most High. So when we realize that we have been deeply affected and wounded, I believe for me, this is what it's helped me recognize, that there's places in my confidence that I have living outside of that secret place. And that the ultimate vision of living in God is actually one that is incredibly immune to human rejection. It's incredibly immune to human failure and the devastation that comes from these things. To be truly healthy and fully living in God is to be fully content in that simple reality of living in God. Godliness with contentment is great gain, it talks about in Peter. And I know this can sound like a fantasy place. Like, that's not real. That's not real. We can never be to that place of uh, intimacy with God. You may doubt it. You may think it's incredibly unrealistic. And I would agree with you. It does, to me, seem that we really need a, a grace of God to be able to live this out. And it's not realistic according to my own simple focus, my own simple strength. But again, as I pointed out at the beginning of this thing, this is not based on fleshly efforts. This is based 
on an incredible gift of God and a choice for me to trust God. Not trust chariots, not trust people, not trust jobs or money or opportunity, not trust my life experiences and the conclusions that's come from them, but to trust God, period. So where do we go from here? Well, I talked to somebody after the first service, and it was interesting, right? Because I was like, hey, how you doing? And they gave a thumbs up, but it was the least convincing thumbs up I've ever seen, you know? It was a thumbs up that was, like, way down. (laughs) So we began to talk, and we began to connect. And this is where discipleship comes into play. Because you got to hear yourself say the lies you're believing in, And have a believer around you say, yeah, no, that's actually a lie that you're trusting in, you're putting confidence in. This is why we share life on life. This is why we open up. This is why we build relationship. And this is why uh, we do these things because if we don't live in Jesus, as believers, if we don't live in Jesus, it's probably not because we don't emotionally want to. Like we emotionally want to live in Jesus. Like if I was like, who wants to live in Jesus? Everybody would be like, yay, we do the wave together. So it's not that we don't want to, right? It's that we have mistakenly chosen other comforts, money, acceptance of people, whatever it may be. So we've chosen them, and we've not known that it was at the expense of residency in God. So we've chosen to believe this lie, and we didn't know it would be at the expense of being intimate with God's truth. We've lived by this lie. Never trust anyone again. People are terrible. <laughs> so we've bought into the lie to never trust again, to never have relationship again would be our safety. And over here, God's like, I'm actually your refuge. Not that lie. So you begin to see that you've actually begun to take refuge in. So what are you taking refuge in? God's truth or a lie? So you're going to choose one father. There's the father who's in secret, your heavenly father, who is love. Or there's the father of lies. So if you, if you believe in the lie, you live in the lie. You're defined by the lie. It produces fruit in your life. If you don't like your fruit, change your father. If you don't like living in a lie and the fruit that comes from it, Allow the truth of God to set you free from the lie you've lived by. Make God your dwelling place and let him destroy your other dwellings. But if you love your other dwellings, you can ask God not to destroy them. You might not ask for it explicitly, but your heart will protect it. It'll say, ah, I actually really like the comfort of lust. I don't know if I can kind of keep coping without it. I really like the comfort of that substance. Oh, I really like money. (laughs) God, can we just maybe have both, please? (laughs) I really like people's acceptance. That would be nice if, you know, I could live with you and no one could ever not like me. So all of a sudden we see this, oh, man, we've, we've chosen these other comforts. We've made them our dwelling. Okay. Simultaneously, I'm going to say yes to God. So first, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So if I could correct your order, it would not be to say no to the devil and say yes to God. If I could simply recommend an order based on the Bible where it talks about Peter, it says, first, say yes to God. Yes, God. Yes. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yes. 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 And I, and I told the, the young man I was talking to, I said, so listen, you have to, you're putting on this thing right now, right? You're putting this thing on right now. You've made him your dwelling place. You've said yes to it. So what's going to come your way is the enticement to put on the old man again. What's going to come your way is this invitation back to that house party and so, 
So you've got to decline the invite going forward. And, and so what are you going to hold on to? What, 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 what are you going to do? So this is where the resistance of the enemy comes into play is you say yes to God and you just resist the invitation to go back to those other homes and to those other dwellings. Just no. No, I've said yes to God and this is where I live now. This is where I have my being. And don't become discouraged by the fact that it's still enticing to you. Temptation is very enticing. It really is. And at different seasons of your life, the more difficult it gets at different points of trials and suffering, the more tempting that temptation will be, the more enticing it'll be. So don't be discouraged by the fact that you want to sin, that you want to find your comfort in a lie or in a substance. Don't be discouraged by that. You're like the rest of us. There's a longing in our flesh for, for it has a real need for things. And so it'll long for comfort. It'll long for those things. But I want to encourage you to stay, to stay in the house of God, to build that secret place, to experience your heavenly father there. It's going to be really hard to do it only in public, right? It's tough to build a secret place in public. So you really can't build that secret place at church. You've got to build it in the privacy between you and God. You guys down for that? You guys ready to pray and finish? You ready, Jim? Okay, let's do it. You guys want to stand? God will still work even if you're sitting, but sometimes we like standing together at the end. But also, I'll give you a little secret. You don't ever have to stand at the end. Unless you want God to move, you know? No, <laughs> just kidding. So, so here's what I want to invite you to do is you may or may not accomplish the entirety of the thing right now. But what I want to invite you to is this commitment to make God your dwelling place and to leave every other dwelling, every other comfort zone, every other satisfaction. So this is just a choice and a conviction we build. It's not by our power. It's not by our means. It's not by our methods. It is absolutely, totally by God. Our responsibility is choice. It always will be. Your responsibility is choice. Not to achieve godliness in you is to choose, is to choose his dwelling place. So that's the first thing we commit to today, God. And if this is where you're at and you wanna choose God as your dwelling place, then I want you to lay your hand on your heart or your mind or something. And it's real simple. For you, it actually might be the first time you've ever chosen this. This might be some version of you're committing your life to Jesus, right? So let's do that together too. So if you want to give your life to Jesus and make him your dwelling place, or if you've already, quote unquote, given your life to Jesus through salvation, but you're returning to that dwelling place today as a commitment, that's fine. Either way, let's make that commitment together. And say, God, I make you my dwelling place. I choose today for you to be my secret place, for you to be my place of comfort, for you to be my home, my place of security. Here's the really important thing. I trust you. I trust you with everything. My heart, my fears, my emotions, my thoughts, my history, my present, my future, my family, my finances, all of it, God. I trust you with everything I could qualify right now in this moment. I'm committed to trusting you with the new things I find tomorrow, in an hour, in a week, in a year, in 10 years. I trust you, God. So that's our submit to God part. The next part here is, is God, I pray that you would deliver me from every other dwelling place that isn't you. It's going to be important. This will be a process of sanctification and freedom. Is God, not only do I choose you as my dwelling, but I choose also to decline other comforts. You, you might be surprised some of the comforts you have. Sometimes we take comfort in self-hatred, in condemnation. Uh, in criticism. We take comfort in some wild things, but you might be surprised by it, but the commitment today is, is God deliver me, right? The Lord's prayer is deliver me from evil. Deliver me, God. 
It's by your power. I can't do it on my own, God. So I'm going to pray that you would squash, you would destroy, you would burn down, you would cut chains of every dwelling place that is not you, God. Re-engineer, reconstruct, and reform my places of comfort, safety, and intimacy, God. I choose your comforts. I choose your spirit. I choose your home. I choose a dwelling place in you. And I say no to every other one. God, I say no to the love of money. I say no to the honor of man. I say no to the vices of substance comfort, God. I say no to the love of food. I say no to the love of lust. I say no to all of these other dwelling places, all of these other comforts. I say no to the comfort of deception and lies. I say no to the comfort of denial. I say no to the comfort of self-reliance and elitism. So Holy Spirit, I pray you'd be like a seal upon our hearts. A seal, God. A seal, Lord. Invite us. Pull on us. Poke on us. Prod on us. Get us into that secret place. Remind us, prompt us. So you said you'd bring it to our remembrance. The Holy Spirit's so faithful. So I'd pray that you would even haunt us in this thing, Holy Spirit. That you would be there pressing, inviting, pressing, inviting, pressing, inviting. We say yes. We love you. We long for a deep, secret history to be developed with you. You might want to take a little time in Selah. You might want to take a little time and just rest in this place and talk to God in this place. And you can leave at any given point. I'm done praying over you. I'm going to pray a little for myself. But you might want to take a little bit of time. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.